This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom, it's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. This week, it's all about spies in space. It's episode 396 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and you know that Lost in Space Season 3 has already premiered on Netflix, and boy, do I have some great guests for you from the cast. Max Jenkins is going to join me this week, along with Mina Sundwall. Also, we'll talk to Molly Parker, Ignacio Cericcio, and Toby Stevens about this third and final season of Lost in Space from Netflix, which is, as you could say, this is going to be spoiler-free, by the way, but as you could say, already been such a fantastic run for that show. And also, hey, Alex Ryder's back on IMDb TV starting today, which streams for free. And you know, once again, I've got members of the cast from, from that as well, and it's going to be Ronke Adekalojo and Redick O'Connor once again joining me this week to talk about Jack and Tom all playing another big role in this season. And what's going on with Alex? Got to find out what's going on there because things don't look well for Alex in the trailer, right? Also have executive producer and writer of the Alex Ryder book series, Anthony Horowitz, joining me this is, this week as well to talk about the show. And, oh, so I, I just love this show. Well, it's going to be sharing a review of the new Disney Plus movie, Diary from Wimpy Kid. If you love the book series, I'll tell you how much you might love this new movie as well. But hey, it's time to get things going. Let's talk about Lost in Space with members of the cast up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Audrey Spotify from Blind Spot on NBC, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Could this be the final adventure for the Robinson family? Season three and the final season of Lost in Space has premiered on Netflix, and I got a chance to sit down with the amazing members of this cast recently in a roundtable conducted by Netflix with some other journalists. Got to ask a bunch of great questions about what you can expect for this final season. If you haven't had a chance to dive in yet or you haven't had a chance to finish it yet, don't worry. This is all spoiler-free. 
so you don't have to worry about that. So I'm going to start out with a conversation that I had with Max Jenkins, of course, plays Will Robinson, and Penny herself, Mina Sudwall. Let's hear what they had to say. Thank you, everybody. How you doing, Mina and Max? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. How are you? Doing very good, guys. Thanks for taking the time to do this today. I appreciate it. No, thank you. So uh, so as we start off this season, we know that Will and Penny and Judy, they're very smart, they're very capable, but how are they dealing with being separated from their parents and everything that we saw at the end of the season two? I would say that, you know, we've all kind of grown up. Uh, as much as the past year and a half, two years has been crazy for us in the real world, it's been even crazier for Will, Penny, and Judy. Uh, I mean, I don't want to speak for everybody else, but I know that at least for Will, this season, he's becoming a young adult. That's something that we always kind of imagined. So mistakes, peril, danger, it, it, all, it all comes to fruition here in the third season. Yeah, I find it interesting, especially where Penny lives in this world that everybody goes through, but where you have one foot in childhood and one foot in adulthood, and sometimes you don't know what leg to lean on. But like a lot of teenagers have felt this past two years in isolation through COVID, you know, it kind of expedites your maturity a little bit and you become more independent much quicker than you expected. And not that they haven't had to do that for the last two seasons, given everything that's happened, but they now have to do that without being able to rely on their parents. So everything is really taken to a whole new level. Thank you. Thank you. This again for the both of you guys. Uh, at the end of season two, of course, we see that you guys have found the Fortuna and obviously that's exciting, especially for Judy, but could that maybe also create some tension in the family group as well? I mean, I think that goes without saying, yeah, totally. I mean, obviously we don't, we don't know what's on the Fortuna. We don't know what, um, we don't know, we don't know what it has in store uh, yet, but um, I can guarantee you that it is very interesting and that, yeah, of course, there's, there's going to be, there's going to be plenty of drama to unfold. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's always something that's testing the Robinsons. There's always something, but this is a particularly important thing. So it'll be, it's, it's fun to see how they navigate that. I think everybody has a different relationship with it. I'm kind of well like giggling teased. to myself, shaking, like, well don't teased. spoil it. It's so funny. <laughs> well teased. Thank you. Thank you. I kind of want to play off that family dynamic for a little bit because, you know, the stereotype in any family is, you know, the older sibling looks out for the younger siblings and so on and so forth. But I feel like it just feels different for this family a little bit. Would you say that that's that's true in a certain sense that maybe they're kind of all looking out for each other or maybe, you know, maybe the younger siblings looking out of the older ones? Or How do you see it? I think it really depends on the situation. I think going into the first episode or going into the beginning of this journey, Will is very much not, not able or capable, or at least he thinks he's not capable to look out for anybody. I mean, I think that was, that was part, it feels like forever ago, but that was part of my first season arc was, was becoming that, that person realizing who he is. And we kind of continue that throughout the third season. And at least for Will, that's kind of his hero's journey is, uh, is discovering who he is and who he is to his family and how, he takes it upon himself. I don't want to spoil the third season too much, but Will Robinson being older definitely takes it upon himself to kind of be, be the defender of his family sometimes. And whether that be for the good or the bad, whether he does that alone or together, uh, we'll have to see, but it's, it's very much a situational thing with the Robinson siblings. I think even with the Robinson parents too, like we're, we're always looking out for each other. Yeah. And I think that's what I mean by everybody's strengths work together to make them stronger as a whole, you know, John and Maureen and 
Don West and and Judy sometimes and Will sometimes get kind of over the seasons are often the strong physical you know action heroes and sometimes Penny isn't that actually not sometimes Penny is never really the action hero (laughs) but I think that there are moments where Penny's emotional intelligence is higher than a lot of other people in the room and so there's a balance there between what can everybody bring it's really for the for the sake of the whole you know what I mean it's been kind of a group effort since day one so now that we've heard from the kids or I I guess we have to call them young adults at this point, right? Based on what Max and Mina were saying, let's hear from the parents and some of the older members of the, of the crew in Lost in Space Season 3. We've got Molly Parker, Ignacio Cericcio, and Toby Stevens, of course. Those are the Robinson parents and Don West. And they have some very interesting insight on this third season as well. Hey, guys, it's James with them from Down and Nerdy Podcast. How are you guys doing? Excellent. Good, thanks. What's up, brother? Good to see you guys. Good to see you. So thanks for taking the time to do this today. Toby and Molly, I wanted to ask you guys, I think one of the big things that we had into season three is that Maureen and John are separated from their kids right now. That can't be easy. So how much of a toll is that taking on them? Tease that for us. Yeah. At the end of season two, we've, we've sent the kids off, all the children, all the colonist kids on a Jupiter to hopefully reach Alpha Centauri. And now it's a year later. We don't know if they made it. We don't even know if they're alive. So Maureen, I think, is in a place of, of really dealing with this sense of failure. She thinks it's her fault. She should have been able to figure it out, and she couldn't. She's brought her family out into space, put them in danger over and over and over again, and now they're all separated and possibly not even alive. You know, and, and John's going through his version of that, and it's really made it impossible for them to sort of, or impossible for Maureen, I think, to to stay connected to John. Yeah, I think they've just reached this point where they've been defined by their kids for so long and then not having their children with them. But I think it's like a lot of couples when their children leave, you know, it's like when they leave home and become grown up themselves and they're sort of like, well, what are we now? Because we just spent so long dealing with with these and, and, and being defined by our children. And, and we, we see them for a moment like, like that, like, well, who are we now? Our children aren't around. And we have this underlying anxiety the whole time that they, uh, you know, are they safe? Are they okay? Where are they? Like when um, they go to college, like when they're off, like when they're in college. Exactly. Are they, what are they doing? What are, are they, they saying? There's a, there's a line that, that the writers gave Maureen where she says, I used to be a mother. And it was, I mean, when I read it, um, mm. I, you know, we, we talked about it because I just thought, God, that's so heavy. How do I, you know, how do I do that? And, and yeah, and I, I love that these writers are willing to kind of go all the way there, like to really, you know, these people are in these extraordinary circumstances all the time, but that one line sort of tells us something about the experience of a mother who's not playing that role anymore? Who am I now? What am I now? You know, and I, and, and I think most parents go through this. So, yeah. So you talked about the adventure. I think one of the many things that makes this show so entertaining is that sometimes it's crisis after crisis after crisis. I actually think it was, it was Ignacio's character, Don, at one point, I think he said something along the lines of, are we ever going to get a couple minutes to think something through? 
Are we ever going to get a chance to just sit down and breathe for a second? So do you guys ever look at the scripts and, and go to yourself, really? This is what you, you just put me through this. Now we got to deal with this. Do you ever have those moments? Yeah, every single script, <laughs> every single day. In some ways, I think that's why three seasons is the perfect amount, you know, because because I mean, if they were just getting stuck in hole after hole after hole after hole yeah. for years, I mean, it would be hard. It would be hard to to. I mean, energetically, it, it would sustain. Be hard. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to sustain that kind of. I mean, I think they the, the writers did it brilliantly, and I I have to say, I think we as a cast actually handled it really well because, you know, what you don't want to do is keep on endlessly repeating the same dynamic. And the way that the characters developed through the pressures that they were under, especially the kids, you know, when they found themselves capable of doing things that they didn't think they were capable of. And I love all of that, you know. And so that that gave it some range to shift. But at the end, you, you, you've you kind of done everything and you're kind of like, we can't sustain this anymore. And and so it's the right moment to 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 end it. Can't be lost forever. Yeah. You've got to find yourself at some point. <laughs> you can't be lost. Lost. I see. You can't be lost. Oh, there they go. <laughs> lost in space. So, Ignacio, I'll pose this one to you. The, the family, the Robinson family sp split up. And, of course, you know, at some point that John and Maureen are, are going to want their kids back. But the question is, how far is Don willing to go to help them get their kids back? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I think we're in a situation where I don't think Don can go anywhere. So uh, it's it's such a we're all in the same dangerous situation and there really is no escape. Whereas maybe if this was the case when he first meets them, it's kind of like, you know what? You deal with your kids. I got my ship and my chicken. I'm I'm out of here. But he can't do that. And he's got this new job that a lot of people depend on him to delegate and, and uh, give them orders. And so it's not necessarily help the Robinsons. It's, I think it's just help everybody. And it's so chaotic, too. There is no moment to analyze or process what the hell is going on. Just got to do. And I do think that's really the perfect way to sum it up, not just this season, but for any season on Lost in Space, you don't get a moment to process it. There's always a new thing that's happening, happening, and it's one of those things where you're either going to watch the show one of two ways. You're either going to binge the whole thing and, and, and bite through the entirety of your fingernails in, in suspense, or you're going to need to watch like a couple episodes and take a breather for the Robinsons who can't take a breather for themselves and everybody that's a part of this show. It is such an amazing sci-fi thrill ride and it really is lost in space on netflix has been peak sci-fi and while i agree with the members of the cast saying three seasons is perfect for so many reasons i am really going to be sad to see this thing go i hope we see more of this at some point in some iteration of some kind lost in space all three seasons now streaming on netflix again thanks to the amazing cast of netflix's lost in space for joining me this week up next Going to talk to another great cast, the cast of Alex Ryder and one of the executive producers. That conversation's next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. <laughs> 
Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hi everyone, this is artist Nicholas Scott and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Is Point Blank a point of no return? This season on Alex Ryder, we explore that and so much more as the Spy series is back once again for another season on IMDb TV. I could not wait for the second season to start. I loved the first season. So, who better to get insight from than Ronke Adekalojo, who plays Jack Starbright on the show, and of course, Brennan O'Connor, who plays Tom. And yes, they have major roles this season. Let's see how much I can get them to tease about just that. Ronke, Brennick, how you doing? Yeah, all good, mate. How are you? Good, Jay. So, for for the both of you, one of the biggest differences as we go into this season of of Alex Ryder, we know Tom and Jack know Alex's secret this time around uh, and what's going on with the department. So, for the both of you, does this kind of change their relationship with Alex for the better, do you think? I think it's true. The information, everything is exposed. It's their relationship better. However, Alex is very much adopting a one man spy show not our show but like in terms of he's like i'm gonna be the spy that fixes all of the stuff that's happening in at the time then again isolates for jack especially she's like oh my god again really like why are we doing this again kind of thing it's <laughs> it's heavy it's <laughs> I'd, I'd have to agree i think it definitely makes the relationship easier knowing that he's a spy because there's there's that's uh, been dealt with now but what makes it tricky again is how little or how much he chooses to tell us about his next missions that he's actively sending himself on and how much control we have over whether that's a healthy thing to do or not yeah controls that that is a very good way to put it actually very very good way to put it so Ronke, jack is obviously alex's friend you could say his guardian at this point they've been through a lot together. Can you talk a little bit about how hard that is actually on Ronke this season, taking on more of that responsibility? And is she going to have to get tough with uh, with Alex a little bit, you think? I do think Jack's going to have to get tough with Alex at some point because, you know, it's his safety that she's worrying about. And I think, especially at his age, there's a sense of um, invincibility that he's got. Like, he doesn't feel the strain of the things he's doing at this time. And I think that for Jack, she very much, as a big sister, a friend figure, she doesn't want to be, she doesn't want to stifle him. She doesn't want to suppress him, definitely not. But as an older person, she's like, these kind of choices you're making right now, they're not going to benefit you when you get to, you know, my age, because your ankle might not work or something. Do you know what I mean? This guy's jumping on buildings and stuff like that. It's completely different. So yeah, she's going to have to give him some tough love at some point and, you know, Put the put the bass in her voice, so hopefully you he can hear it. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt about that, Brennick. For you, I feel like if anybody's going to be down to to help Alex in in the spy life, it's definitely going to be Tom. So can we see a little bit more of a team up this season, or maybe could there be some hesitation there? Maybe I, I think that 
in series one before Tom got involved, he thought he'd be as good at it as Alex is being a spy. He's like, yeah, I've seen enough. Like, I've seen enough Bond. I've seen enough action heroes do their thing. I know what it takes to make a hero. And then as soon as he can't tell the difference between evil Alex and real Alex and gets gouged in the stomach by a, like a library stand. There's, there's definitely some hesitation before jumping into the next mission. Cause he's got no training. None of this, like Alex has been trained for years in secret by his uncle without even Alex's knowledge that that's what was going on. And Tom's just an ordinary kid from London whose best mate happens to be a spy. So he's absolutely out to protect Alex for sure. And if that means going along on the missions, he'll do it. But I think Tom realizes now that there's a reason why these things are better left in films. Oh, certainly. Most certainly. So you can't go through what Alex went through and not be affected as of last season. So we, we saw last season as well. We saw there were times where Tom was was able to ground Alex a little bit. We saw when, when Jack was able to do that as well. But is it different this time around? Is it is it different because of maybe his mental state because of what he's gone through for them? I, I think there's more I think there's more fear from all of us involved and less from Alex, weirdly. I think it's the complete opposite. Last series, Alex was thrown into a situation where he didn't want to be. And we were like, it's okay. Like you're innocent, just get through it and get back to us. And now we're going, get out of this thing that you're in. What are you doing, putting more time and energy into this? They don't care and you're just going to get yourself hurt. And I think that's the, that's been the hardest thing for me watching it back is watching me and Ronks look on and just, see this boy throwing himself down hole after hole and just getting battered and bruised consistently and getting up and going, right, time to do it again. And not listening to anyone around him go, do you not see yourself in the mirror? Do you not see the scrapes? Are you not, okay, if you need to, we'll help you, but take a breather, please. Yeah, I agree with Bran. I agree with Bran. I feel like now that he's, Alex has recognized that actually, no, I am an actual spy even though he's not necessarily been given a mission by the department or anything he very much exists in that world all the time so he's constantly searching for things to fulfill that desire in him the spy but for the rest of us we're just like no 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 you're a kid you go to school you you have dates you go to parties and stuff like that that's all you do you go to the cinema all of this other stuff is so strange and i think jack and tom are trying to let him know how strange it is but he's not having a bar of it he's like no i've got to save the day and eventually i think both of both jack and tom go well i guess we should help them yeah (laughs) well well, well, i mean tom tom has dates i mean clearly i guess tom has more game than alex now is that is that what's happening really yeah i think that's what's happening here I love it. I love it. And there, there's a lot of serious stuff that happens on this show. There's no, there's no doubt about it. But I mean, I've seen some. We've seen some of the images that have come out even even before the trailer did. I, I'm seeing surfboards. So I mean, are we going to see a little fun on the season as well? Maybe. I'd I'd say there's still some fun. I'd say there's still quite a bit of fun. The the, the fun comes from danger this time. It's it's more a case of fun after the fact. Once we've survived something, we go, God, that was fun. But in the moment, terrified. <laughs> I love that fun after the fact. I just can't wait for you guys to see that 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 episode where there is the fun and it happens really early on because there's there's some there's some really funny stuff that happens in that thing. You guys will find out. Season two of Alex Ryder comes back on December the third on IMDb TV. Ronke, 
Brennick, thank you so much for the time, as always. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thanks, James. And you don't have to worry about IMDb TV because that's absolutely free, and that's where you can stream Alex Ryder's Season 2. And let's get a little insight into the series now from writer and executive producer Anthony Horowitz. He's written the books. Who would know more about Alex Ryder than the creator himself? Let's hear what he had to say. Anthony, how are you doing today? I'm well, thank you, James. All righty. So this season of Alex Ryder is actually based on your Eagle Strike novel. So for those who have already read the book and are fans of the book, of course, you understand you don't want to do a shot for shot retelling of that story. But how happy do you think fans of that will be with this adaptation? Fans who've read Eagle Strike will recognize that a lot of that book is in this show. There are, of course, a few things that have changed. For example, Damien Cray is a pop singer in the book, but in the TV adaptation, he is more of a sort of a tech genius. But I think that the big difference is how much we've added to it. We've really pushed some new ideas in, some new thoughts and new action sequences. There's a whole section to do with cybercrime, which I really get excited by. So I think it's going to be recognizable with new additions, and I just hope people enjoy it. I agree. There's some very cool additions in this season from the from the book, for sure. Now, in the trailer, we actually see there might be a bit of tension between Alex and the department. How much stress will we see Alex under this season, especially early on? A very great deal of stress. You could almost say that Alex is suffering from PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. He's having to seek psychiatric help. He thinks he's hallucinating. He thinks Yasin Gregorovich is on every street corner. And he's very alone because... He's trapped in the experience of what he went through in the first season, and he doesn't really have anybody to share it with. And the department aren't interested in him. You're quite right. The department have got other fish to fry, and they've turned their backs on him. They don't want to know. So he's in a dark place. And I, I think that, you know, part of the show is about saving the world, but another part of it is about saving himself. And do you think we kind of take that for granted as viewers sometimes because he's so skilled and he seems so ahead of his age that we kind of take for granted that he is still a kid. He's still a teenager. That's exactly what this is all about. I mean, you know, Alex is a kid. Now, in the books, you know, it took him a lot of books to get to where he is in this TV series. But, you know, by the time you get to books like 9, 10, and 11 in the series, he's quite damaged. You know, he's been through so much. I can't forget, he's a human being. If you or I were in his position, I don't think we'd cope to him, or certainly me, I wouldn't cope with it at all well. So, you know, he is a young man in the TV show, but even so, he has been through so much. He has seen so much that has traumatized him that he is damaged. I was no doubt about it. And, and, you know, I think one of the great things about the show is how his friends, you know, Jack and Tom have to rally around him and how he comes through it and, and, and makes good again. No doubt about that. Now, I love the character of Damien Cray, especially what you're doing with him in the show uh, this season. So how would you describe him and how does he present a much different threat than we saw in season one? Well, Dr. Greif in season one was just your sort of megalomaniac villain who wanted to take over the world effectively. I mean, that was it. And for money, for power. And often in this sort of genre, you know, the sort of the spy flick, the, you know, the, 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 the sort of the thriller uh, like, we've, like we've created, you do get larger than life villains who are bad because basically they enjoy being bad. What I think is interesting about um, Damien Cray, and particularly in Toby Stevens's portrayal of him, is that he is himself a damaged individual. He is grieving. He's had a personal tragedy in his life that he can't make sense of. Of, and now he has got all the money in the world, but allows him to redress the demons of his childhood. And in doing that, he is going to cause terrible things to happen. But, you know, at the end of the day, we can, to an extent anyway, sympathize with him. He is a human being. So you mentioned Jack, you mentioned Tom, and I, I love the both of them as well. They know Alex's secret now, so that's a little bit different from last season where we started anyway. Could we kind of see them try to help Alex in his pursuits, or are we going to see them maybe try to steer him away from that spy life a little more. 
Well, I think Jack is to a certain extent hoping that he won't get involved. But once she realizes that he is involved and that she can't get him out of that, of course she rallies to help him. And I think what's interesting about her is that in the second season, she's got a job. She's an intern in a legal firm and she's building up her life of her own. She's not just living on this planet to be of service to Alex. You know, she, he is, she is loyal to him. She looks after him, but nonetheless, she has a life of her own, which comes under threat when she tries to help. She has to make a choice. Do I help this kid at the expense of my own life or do I just turn my back on him? So that's her dilemma. I think Brennock, O'Connor playing Tom, has a different dilemma. This is Alex's best friend, but he has to find a role for himself. What do you do when your best friend is busy saving the world and you're at school having to lie to the teachers to say, you know, he can't come in today because he's at the dentist. And I think that Brennock Glove plays that really well. There's sort of as a, there's an edge of comedy to it, but also a certain wistfulness that it's Alex having the adventures not him absolutely Anthony absolutely now there have been a lot of gameplay obsessions over the years and I feel like you guys capture that really well in this season with feathered serpent how'd you come up with that concept and weave it into this story so well well, first of all, I have to give credit where it's due to Guy Burt, who is the actual adapter of the books and who has done a fantastic job, I think, doing exactly what you've just said. He has young kids who play these games, and so he must know how obsessional they can be and how they can take over your life and suck you into their world. When I was writing the book years ago, where games were not as quite as advanced as they are now, I chose Feathered Serpent because I was interested in Aztec mythology. That's where it came from. Games are often based, it seems to me, on some mythology from around the world. I picked the Aztecs because it's the most violent and bloody mythology you can find. I mean, it's absolutely terrible. These creatures, Feathered Serpent, is an Aztec monster. And one of the joys of this show, I have to say, is I didn't know what it would look like when it was filmed. It's, you know, if you're talking about the best-selling game in the world, you have to put something up that looks as if it could be. And I have to say that the graphic designers have done a fantastic job. And in the episode, I think it's number five, where Alex is actually sucked into the world of the game, which is what happens also, of course, in the book. You know, it's nothing like, and it's not like anything I've ever seen on TV. It's just works fantastically. It really does. And the book was way ahead of its time in that regard, too. So I thought that was very, very cool. So for anyone who hasn't read Eagle Strike, tell us a little bit about Sabina and how complicated her relationship is with Alex. Well, Sabina comes into it as the daughter of a journalist. They meet by chance when they're on vacation down in the south of England in Cornwall. The show opens with some fantastic surfing shots with Alex, of course, doing the surfing. And things take a turn for the worse when Forces unknown try to kill Sabina's dad, Ed, who is a journalist, and it's Alex who realizes that Ed was writing a book about Damien Cray and begins to make the connection. And he can't tell Sabina who he is because will she believe that he's some kind of teenage spy? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. And so there is a tension between them. And as he begins to investigate and has to sort of explain to her why he's so interested in what is happening, there is a tension between them as she thinks he's a fantasist and she doesn't believe him. And so, you know, at the same time, we've got Kyra in there as well. So, you know, Alex is talking torn between two very, very strong young women in this show. And I, you know, I absolutely adored uh, having Marley Sue back again, but, you know, Charithra, Charithra Chandran is just a wonderful addition as Sabina. You know, these are two really talented young actresses who are going to go places. They were both incredible in the show. There's no doubt about that. I want to go back to Yasin Grigorovich for a minute because you introduced this new threat in Damien Cray. You give you, let's call him, for lack of a better way of putting it, a carryover villain in Yasin Grigorovich. How do you balance those two things, giving yourself a brand new villain to introduce, but also carrying one over that fans will recognize from the first season. Well, I mean, the link between 
Yasin Gorovich and Damien Cray is an integral part of the story. And, and that, so they are linked in the book and on the series. And again, I have to say that, you know, it is Guy Burke who has to take the credit for actually achieving this. But, you know, Thomas Levin, who plays Yasin, is a wonderful actor. He brings this sort of silence and menace and sort of cold-bloodedness. You know, I think of him as death on legs. He doesn't have to do very much. And that, I think, is what's so interesting about the way he does it. I remember in the first season when he shot Alex's uncle in the very first episode, Episode of the first season, he did it almost with a sort of an apologetic shrug. I'm sorry, Ian, he said, and pulled the trigger. And, and that's what he seems to do in this show too, often. He is a fascinating actor, and it's one of my favourite characters in the whole canon. Very, very different world from Toby Stevens, who is, you know, this, this billionaire, this grieving man, this sort of maniac in some ways, uh, with this extraordinary plan that, you know, emerges over the show. They are completely different ends of the spectrum, but they are connected. And what connects them, of course, is Alex. Absolutely. Anthony, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. There's really so much going on in this season of Alex Ryder. And I will tell you, if you were taken in by the first season like I was, and you fell in love with these characters, they really expand on them so well in this second season. And then you bring Damian Crane to the mix. You bring Sabina into the mix. And it's just the way the show flows from season one into season two and kind of ups the game of the show, if that's even possible, is just so well done by everybody involved. So make sure you are binge-watching, streaming Alex Ryder Season 2 on IMDb TV, available right now. Again, thanks to Brennick O'Connor, Ronke Adekalojo, and Anthony Horowitz for joining me this week to talk about Alex Ryder. Up next, we're going to head to Disney Plus and talk about the new Diary of a Wimpy Kid movie. That's next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Taylor Hickson from Deadly Class, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. After several years of getting the live-action treatment, Disney Plus has given us a Diary of Wimpy Kid animated movie that is available right now on Disney Plus. I want to go ahead and give you my spoiler-free review of Diary of a Wimpy Kid. And this particular story follows Greg Heffley, of course, the character that you know and love so well. And this is him, you know, trying to be rich and famous, but, you know, he's starting middle school, and that is part of the challenge. And there's this cheese. And I can't really get into, I don't want to spoil all of the mysteries of the cheese, but I will say this. It's one of those typical silly like kid things, especially once you get around that age in middle school. That's like, an, like I, I don't know if urban legend is the right way to put it, but that's the closest thing I can think of off the top of my head right now to compare it to where it's the story that's gotten told over the years and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and it's a huge deal to the kids, right? And and that certainly plays a role in in this. But it's very, I think, this movie very relatable in a way of if you remember that time in your life when you were growing up and it was a huge change from elementary school to middle school and it's that shock to the system, right? And that's something that Greg is dealing with and his friend Rowley is dealing with as well. And I mean, all the kids to a certain extent, but we get to see a lot between Greg and Rowley who are very good friends on the show. And that's the other thing that this show deals with very well is it's also about fitting in and how Greg and Rowley kind of see fitting in differently or approach fitting in differently anywhere, how important that is to the both of them. And I think that that's something that, you know, sort of brings you back to your childhood, especially if you were someone like me who, who grew up and, 
didn't had a really really difficult time fitting in when I was younger and had a difficult time making friends. You know, you know, being nerdy back in the eighties and nineties certainly wasn't helpful at the time. But and I certainly suffered for that in my younger years. But I certainly had my close circle of friends, and and you see that with with Greg and with Rowley as well. But you also see the struggle with that friendship, right? Because of the different ideals that they have for how important and and how they go about fitting in. And and Greg actually, one of the things that at least I found when I was watching, anyway, you kind of get I I got mad at Greg a little bit during the course. Of this show, and maybe maybe it wasn't his fault. Maybe it is. I mean, that's certainly open to interpretation. But there's a frustration there if you see the way that things kind of play out between the two of them. But you know, then you also remember that that's a very relatable thing between friends, especially at that age. You're gonna you're gonna have different ideals as you start growing up and growing older, and you know, maybe certain things that that you gravitate away from at a certain age. But maybe there's some things that you don't necessarily and growing up is a subjective thing. And you sort of think about that. So maybe I'm reading way too much into this, but I think that this movie ends up being very relatable as you can think back. And as an adult, as what that time was in your life, or if you've got someone in your life, a child that's, that's around that age or getting to be that age, they can relate to it as well. And I think younger kids can certainly, I mean, this is a PG movie, but I think it certainly relate to this as well. I also love the Fregley character played by Christian Convery, who of course you remember from Sweet Tooth, he does the voice of that character. And it's just that, that, that almost like kid that you're not quite sure where, where he stands, you know, where he's at, you know, I don't want to say he's creepy because I don't think that's fair, but you, you, you kind of wonder about the kid as, as I guess the best way you could put it. And you, once you see the inside of his house, You'll understand why. And there's also a family dynamic here, too, that's really, really interesting because you see that Greg's got an older brother. He's got a younger sibling as well that, you know, maybe he doesn't want to hang out with as much. And Greg just does some very, you know, questionable things. But again, that's kids being kids sort of situation as well. And how his parents deal with that or not deal with it, depending on how you feel about Greg's parents as you're watching this, how they deal with it, I think is very, very interesting. But I feel like this is one of those deals where if you really enjoyed the books, I think that you'll enjoy this movie as well. Or if you you have a kid that's enjoyed the books, I think that this is certainly something that they could enjoy as well. But I, I think that this is a really good story of friendship. And I don't like using the term coming of age too much. But in this particular instance, I feel like it makes sense because it's a it's the story of going from elementary school to middle school. And very often you see stories where it's going from middle school to high school and what a shock to the system that is. But if you really think back, the biggest shock to your system when you're younger is going from a time where you're having recess at school and things are a little bit more fun, a little bit more loose in elementary school, even once you get up there in the older grades. But once you go to middle school, there's lockers and all this other stuff that you didn't have to deal with and more responsibility. It's something suddenly thrown at you for the very first time and how difficult that can be. And we almost take that for granted in our lives, right? Because you almost forget what that's like because for some of us anyway, that was so many years ago. So I really like that the way this story does those two things as well. I think the voice acting across the board was very, very good. I really enjoyed the animation style of the series as well. It's almost like 
like a comic strip come to life, but on a high end scale, which I think is really, really cool. It actually reminded me of the animation style that the Peanuts movie had not too long ago. Just I, I was very impressed with that as well. And I think that they, they, they just nailed the character designs for this and so many good things about this diary diary of a wimpy kid movie, which you could see right now streaming on Disney plus. It's a really quick watch too. It's about an hour long. So it's certainly something if you're worried about you know, how the kids going to sit through this, even if they enjoy, it, you know, it can be hard for kids to sit through things. I know that's certainly true of my kids. It's a very quick and fun watch right now streaming on Disney plus. That's going to do it for my spoiler free review of the diary of a wimpy kid 2021 version from Disney plus up next. Let's see what kind of nerd news we can get into. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, I'm Cameron Beacon Dova from Gotham, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Prime Video looking to expand its reach. It's time for nerd news, and the first trailer for the Jack Reacher TV series from Prime Video has been released, and we also know the release date as well. It's going to be February 4th of 2022 you'll recognize the star of the reacher series alan richson who of course played hawk on dc's titans for the longest time and had a great very memorable several episodes in this previous season and now if you're not familiar with jack reacher of course this is he's a veteran military police investigator he's entered civilian life and he kind of just drifts across the country and he doesn't have a phone which is interesting he only carries what he needs sort of thing. And what he does is he arrives in this particular season. He arrives in Margrave, Georgia, which is a small town. They've had their first homicide in 20 years. And somebody tried to pin it on him. And that was the wrong call. And that's kind of where this first season picks up. Now, this is based on, of course, Lee Childs is the writer of the of the Jack Reacher series. This one's going to be based on Killing Floor, if you're familiar with the books. And I got to say, just first reaction to the trailer of this series is this is one of the more masculine series just based on the trailer that I I can think of in, in quite a while. I mean, Jack Reacher just oozes masculinity and just badassery personified. And he you know, and he's got, you know, this this snarkiness about him. He's got this definitely abundance of confidence. He, he he's a very skilled fighter, but he's also got a very skilled mind as well. And he's one of those guys you, you could t- judge the book by its cover, right? And you'd be wrong. So I just think that, you know, of course, we had Tom Cruise as Jack Reacher in the movies. And this just feels like a more authentic representation of the character, if you're familiar with the books. Now, of course, you've got Nick Santora who's going to be writing this series and also executive producing along with a bunch of other very talented folks as well. You want more info on that? You can go to down nerdypodcast.com for the full list of producers and such. But what I think that this is the classic action series that you loved in like the eighties and nineties. And it's coming back to life here in 2022 is when the series is going to be coming out. I just feel like th- this this one to me is almost like an unapologetic John Wick, if that makes sense. Like John Wick had that softer side, and I'm sure that Jack Reacher has a bit of a softer side as well. But this is a very take no prisoners character, and you can certainly tell that 
but he's certainly he's also got a charm about him in a weird way. I guess you could say he certainly charmed uh, one of the officers in the small town. There's no doubt about that. But I think that this is going to be a very enjoyable series and something that I, I think will be a nice change of pace for the action genre in general and, and something that looks like it's going to be really well done. So Jack Reacher, actually, excuse me, Reacher is the name of the series, going to be premiering February 4th, 2022 on Prime, Prime Video from Amazon Studios. Speaking of a show that's already premiered, of course, the Hawkeye series has dropped. It's as as of me recording this, it's third episode. We got a great look at Echo and her story in this last episode, which was really, really compelling. But in that, we also got a little view of a certain half of an arm slash hand of Echo's uncle. Now, this is a little bit of a spoiler for if you haven't read the comics or if you haven't watched the third episode yet. So I'm just going to warn you of that now because it's like required by law at this point. And you know that Echo's uncle is Kingpin. And you also know that Echo holds Ronan responsible for killing her family members, basically. And here's the deal. Of course, Echo's connected to the tracksuit mafia, which everybody seems to be loving on social media, but so much of the focus has become on was that Kingpin? Obviously, it seems like it was Kingpin in the show, right? But everybody wants to know, is this Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin? And does that then bring in all of the Marvel Netflix series to the MCU? And my reaction to this is, this is why we can't have nice things. This is why we can't just enjoy, we can't enjoy anything anymore. What happened to that? Now, I'm not speaking for myself personally because that's not where my mind went. Now, did my mind realize that's probably Kingpin and wouldn't that be cool? Sure it did. But at the same time, my mind also didn't drift to the world of possibilities that this could open. Now, again, would that be neat? Sure it would. I'm not sitting here saying it wouldn't. But my goodness, can't we take a moment to just take a breath and enjoy the fact that, first of all, this Hawkeye series is pretty damn good and better than it should be. Let's be honest. This show is way better than it should be for a lot of different reasons, okay? And I won't get into all those right now. You heard my review of the first couple of episodes already last week. So if you want to hear that, you can go back and find out why I loved it and why I'm still loving it. But I understand the excitement, okay? And I understand that the Marvel Netflix show should have never ended. Daredevil should have absolutely gotten another season and still should. However, I'm not even here to say that ship has sailed. I'm going to hit a rain on your parade, okay? I'm just saying is that we have to start enjoying things for what they are in front of us. Remember the whole Mephesto thing took over, completely took over WandaVision and every series after that. Oh, Mephisto's confirmed and all those. Come on. Come on. Can't we just enjoy the thing that we're watching and not look forward all the time? And maybe that's Marvel's fault. Maybe Marvel Studios is partially to blame because of the connected universe. You're always looking for that next connection, right? You're always looking, already looking for that next leaf. You ever done the Ancestry.com thing where you trace back your family tree and you, you, you make a connection, right? And then that little leaf pops up. I think they still use the little leaf. I haven't done mine in a while. But the little leaf pops up and you go, oh, well, what's that going to branch off to? And then all of a sudden you're down the rabbit hole, right? And all of a sudden you're very far from the thing 
that you were looking for. Is the thing is the road that you're on or that you're on a cool one and very interesting? Sure. But that's not why you were there in the first place. And while that could lead to something amazing, it you're also maybe losing sight of what you were going there to find out. So what I'm trying to say is is that don't lose sight of the fact that this Hawkeye series has been really, really good so far. And don't want the fact that let's just say for the sake of argument, and I have no knowledge on this, by the way. This is just me doing a what if for you. Let's just say Vincent D'Onofrio doesn't appear as Kingpin in this show. Would that ruin it for you? And if you say yes, then what are you even watching the show for? I don't understand. Do you watch the show just for the excitement of what might to come and a possibility of a daredevil Easter egg. You see how, man, how mad so many fans were that Charlie Cox wasn't in the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer already? Really? Really? I mean, and again, maybe he's in the movie. Maybe we will be surprised. Maybe it's all been one big smokescreen. But, guys, I want Daredevil back, too, okay? But can we not let it ruin the fact that we have a really good Marvel series in Hawkeye going on right now? Like, can it not ruin the fact that Haley Steinfeld is doing an incredible job as Kate Bishop and might be one of the reasons that Marvel Studios still has a bright future beyond Endgame? Can we not let these things... Can we not ruin the fact that Echo's going to get her own series already and now you see why? Because it is a deep and rich character that if you weren't familiar with her in the comics, now you are. And by the way, the first deaf character in Marvel Studios, completely deaf character, I think that that's a really good step in the right direction as well. So let's not ruin the, what we have already by what might possibly be coming in the future. It's, you know, live in the present a little bit, I guess is the best way that I can sum it up. One thing I am very excited about, and I was, I was hoping that this would happen again at some point, and that is that Robbie Amell, according to a report from Entertainment Weekly, is going to be appearing on an episode of The Flash this season, of course, we've got Rick Cosnett bringing back his character as well in an episode this season. What's that going to mean for Iris? I don't know, but I want to go back to something that Caitlin said. And I think it was the first episode of season eight and where she kind of said, you know, she's ready to get back out there. She's ready to start dating again. She's kind of, you know, finally moved past what happened with Ronnie at the end of season one. And now we find out that Ronnie's going to be coming back. Now, is it going to be for an episode? More than likely. Robbie Amell's a pretty busy guy. He's got movies filming. They're filming the Code 8 sequel right now, I believe he is, with Stephen Amell. And he's in Toronto. He's got a, he's got a two-year-old daughter right now, so he doesn't, want to, he doesn't want to divide his time too much. But at the same time, bringing him back has always been an interesting possibility for me. Not just because for what it means for Caitlin, but... I feel like the Firestorm character has a place on this show and certainly in the Arrowverse in general. And we saw that with with, uh, with Jax and Professor Stein, and that worked really well on DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Of course, that's gone away for, for many reasons, the both of them leaving those shows. But I feel like there's a place for this character, and I always felt like I wanted more from Robbie Amell's Firestorm than we actually got. And I actually thought that that was a character that could have a potential spinoff series at some point. I, I think that ship's probably sailed, and that's fine. I've made my peace with that. But 
that I, I do find it interesting that this is the season that it's going to happen in. It almost feels like something you do in a final season, but I don't think this will be the final season of The Flash. But it almost feels like that, doesn't it? That's usually when you bring back a character like this. So I'm very interested to see how this ties into the story. They've given, been given no hints about it at all. We don't know what episode it is yet. We just know that Rick Hosnett and Robbie Ma won't be appearing in the same episode. That is one thing that we know. So it's not going to be like one of those mega flashback season one type of things. But we'll just have to see how it goes if and when it happens this season. Here's something I was a little surprised about when I saw this. It was a report from Bloomberg. Yeah, of all places to get nerd news, it's Bloomberg. And that is that Dark Horse Comics is apparently exploring a possible sale. Now, before you freak out, there's very few details on this. Dark Horse, as of me recording this episode, has not officially commented on this yet. Okay? And things are still well for at Dark Horse, by the way. They got some of the Star Wars license back, so they're going to be kind of working with Marvel in that regard, publishing more Star Wars comics. Of course, that was at IDW, now back at Dark Horse. You've got Gru being adapted by Warner Brothers Animation. I mean, the company's been around since it was founded in 1986 by, by Mike Richardson. I don't think the company itself is going anywhere. But, you know, maybe they're looking for a way to stabilize themselves a little bit more. And that's not even to say that the company's in trouble. But let's go ahead and peel the onion a little bit here, right? Because what's the first thing that pops up in your head? You're thinking, oh, well, you know, Marvel's gotten a few of the properties from Dark Horse recently. Does Marvel just go ahead and buy Dark Horse? And I'll tell I, I can think of a million reasons why I don't want that to happen. And that is, and one of those reasons is, I don't want Disney owning one more comic book property. I don't think that you want that, right? Because now I'm not saying that they wouldn't necessarily do a good job with it, right? As far as adaptations go, I'm sure that they would make some good ones. But at the same time, I think it would corporatize, if that's a word, is that a word, corporatize? I think it would make Dark Horse more corporate on the comics end, and I don't like that. I think Dark Horse has always lived on this very creative edge. I think that that Image is the gold standard for that, but I feel like Dark Horse is right there with them, that they have a very edgy, creative, creator-owned section of their books that just really, really grabs me. There's always one or two Dark Horse comic series that I gravitate towards because it's just so well-written and so creatively thought out that I can't put it down and I can't keep myself away from it. And they've shown that they can make really compelling stories and that leads to compelling adaptations. Should that be the reason that you're making a comic? Absolutely not. But there's a lot of money in that as well and you can't ignore that fact either. So I think that what we're looking at here, because it just seems like a natural fit to me, and I don't know what the interest would be here, but it seems like Netflix is the most likely and, mo- and the destination that makes the most sense. Because that's where Dark Horse has had a lot of its success has been with Netflix. Now, did they find success with Resident Alien on, in- on sci-fi? Sure. Sure they did. We got the second season coming up, as a matter of fact. But being bought by Netflix wouldn't necessarily mean that they would automatically not be able to do deals 
with other networks. Would it would that be a likely scenario? Sure, of course it would be likely if you if you own something you want to own it in in you know completely. So you wouldn't necessarily want to farm that out to anybody else, but it's also not completely out of the realm of possibility. It just seems like a natural fit because every time Netflix gets their hands on a dark horse property, they seem to do very good justice by it and I'm not just talking about Umbrella Academy. So I, I mean, I mean, I think that this is just a natural fit, and I think that this would give Netflix a really strong, another really strong IP, and I, I really believe that that could really jettison things as far as adaptations go, and we could get more great dark horror stories on the screen. Again, should that be the goal? No, but I think Netflix has always looked, for, been looking for a way to get into comics. And they kind of flirted with with Miller World, and that hasn't worked out as well as you'd hoped. You know, maybe there was a there was some, you know, partnership a little bit with Image Comics there, and that just never seemed to materialize. This would give Netflix an opportunity to really dive into the comics realm and let Dark Horse do what they do. Okay, that's the one reason I don't want Marvel and Disney to be a part of this. Because I think Dark Horse should be allowed to just do their thing. If they're going to be purchased by someone, they need to be purchased by someone that's going to let them do their thing and be another source of equity for the larger company. And I think that that's what Netflix would probably do. Uh, Now, there would still be oversight there. And if if you're messing up and you're screwing up the bottom line, then there has to be consequences for that. And, you know, at some point somebody's going to step in. But put the right people in the place to do what they do and do it well. And then you see where it goes from there. Now, you saw what happened when, when Valiant sold a lot of its stake to, to, to another company. That has not worked out well for Valiant. That's another reason why you got to be really careful in a situation like this. But I do think the Dark Horse is being careful. I think they're just tip, dipping their toe in the water here. And if a sale eventually does happen, I'm actually pretty confident that they'll find the right partner because I think what they really want to do is continue to make great comics and great content for us. And I really believe that that's their goal. And I think that they would explore that in any possible sale of the company. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the down and nerdy podcast. Again, thanks to the amazing cast of lost in space and Alex Ryder for joining me this week to talk about those incredible shows you can also find out what's going on with us at downandnerdypodcast.com. I always want, to follow, always want you to follow along on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and Instagram and at downandnerdy on Facebook. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.